Greetings across whatever you listen to podcasts on. This is the Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell. It's the podcast that takes you inside the mind of someone as they prepare for, perform, and reflect upon performances of live musical accompaniments to silent films. Happy New Year! This is Ben Modell. I'm your host. I'm a silent film accompanist, historian, presenter, educator, home video label, etc., etc. This is our 55th episode, if you're keeping score. It's January of 2023, and I'm joined, as always, by co-host and co-producer, Kerr Lockhart. Hi, Ben. Hi, how are you? Good. I understand you're getting kind of enjoy a month at home, if you can call that enjoyment. Well, uh, I'm just as busy. I'm just not going as many places as it turns out. And that's Uh, kind of what we're going to talk about, because I'm going to call this the Not Silent Film Music Podcast (laughs) this week. Although we have have some silent films that we're going to hear some scores for, what we're not going to hear is really, you know, we've always talked about the thrust of this podcast, is that silent film is a special medium. It's particularly a performance medium. It doesn't happen until the film is being performed, and part of that is a score being performed, most hopefully an improvised or a partly improvised score in front of a warm bodies. That's your ideal. Um, but Well, that's, yeah, that, yeah that's, what, uh, that's what this is really mostly about. Well, we're not going to talk about that uh, on this episode. Oh. We're going to talk <laughs> about other ways that uh, music gets coupled with film and some silent film that postdates the silent film era. We're going to kind of wander yes. around in other ways to use music other than, as we mostly talk about, supporting character and story. We're talking about some right. films that don't have characters or stories or where you're not necessarily supporting those but merely uh, creating atmosphere. Yeah, it's a topic of, of music, a type of music also, that uh, folks who know my work may not necessarily think of and certainly i get i get pigeonholed into silent comedy a lot but outside of silent comedy and silent film dramas uh there are other types of films that i have uh, often been tasked with either accompanying at shows or having to record scores for where i actually take the opportunity to move a little bit beyond the usual type of music that i'm playing and th- these films uh uh, is that a long enough teaser, folks? Uh, the, the, the films we're talking about are, are educational type films, not uh, the Earl, the uh, E.W. Hammond's Spice the Program uh, comedy shorts, but films that are educational or instructional or are documentaries. And we talked on uh, where, about some of these realities yeah. uh, last winter, and mm. I will get a link to that episode Good, in our notes. Uh, but this is a type of film I, I find myself uh, having to accompany or, or record uh, scores for uh, every once in a while. There's a couple of things that I did for the Library of Congress. Uh, one is called The Wizardry of Wireless. Don't ask me why I remember that name. Uh, but it's it's a 20-minute film made by, I think, General Electric. And it's mostly animated drawings about how uh, wireless signals and radio works but I also, when I was going to the uh, Silent Film Days Festival or Stumfilmdaga in Tromsø, Norway, every year there was a show that they would put on called Frosty Celluloid, and they would screen polar exploration films from the teens or the twenties. And I would create, you know, and I would accompany these films, and they're all kind of they all have the same trajectory, very much like a trip to the moon does. There's a ceremony with with all the people gathered, and then there's a another ceremony where they, the boat leaves, and then they're on the boat, and they get stuck in ice, they have to break up the ice, and they get off on an island, they play with the, the walruses and the and, and the penguins, and they get back on the boat, and they go, you know. And so the dramatic conflict is not flowing uh, <laughs> like 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 uh, an episode of The Sopranos or something like that. It's, you So you have to work... Uh, to either to create drama or to create music that's pleasing to the ear while you're watching long explanatory titles about Amundsen or how waveforms are turned into wireless signals and are received uh, by radio sets in the 1920s. And I've had an opportunity uh, during during the shutdown era, which 
which is actually uh, uh, the opportunity is continuing. I mean, we're still leaving our houses, most of us. The Metropolitan Museum of Art began posting films from their collection online on their own website uh, hosted through YouTube. So you can find it on their YouTube channel as well as uh, going to the Metropolitan Museum of Arts site called From the Vaults. And a lot of people don't know this, and I even I didn't, is that there is a film department at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I they was an, There's an auditorium, and I've done some shows years and years ago uh, for them, but I did not, what I really didn't know was that they made films in the 1920s about their collections or how different kinds of pieces of art were made. And this is another one of those, how did you get those job stories that if you planned it, you couldn't make it happen, which was that a friend of Mana's, for whatever reason, was on the site and looking at some of the films. But there were a couple of silent films with complete silence. And she wrote to Mana and said, hey, there's these silent films with no music. The irony, of course, is that I was supposed to play in June of 2020 for a program of what turned out to be some of these films. I contacted the people who had booked me and I said, can we work something out so I can score these? And they were they said, yes. So I, I've done at least a half dozen films for the Metropolitan Museum of Art where you watch somebody there's the, make a, a pot on a pottery wheel. I think one of the first films I did for them was a film called The Pottery Maker which was very well received, apparently, as well as uh, a small portrait of a, a painter named Childe Hassam, uh, and a few other things like that. Now, and so re- I'm going yeah, go to make a presumption that something like the pottery wheel gives you a visual motif that you can hang music on. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely that. There's the when they're using the wheel, you know, there, there's sort of a there's an obvious opportunity for. You know, a six, a bum, 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 yum, bum, bum, yum, bum, 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 bum. Or, or something along those lines, uh, at least for those parts of it. And that film actually has, as a framing device, something about a young girl who goes with her grandmother to visit uh, a pottery artist. So there's that storyline running as well. Uh, so it's not just the pottery maker, and, and title cards. And so what what I have found with these films, all these films, and I, I still don't know if it's the right thing to do, uh, but what I have been doing is is creating music that sounds a little bit more like piano music or parlor music that would be, have been composed in the 1920s by Ravello, WC, or Biggs Biderbeck, some of that kind of stuff, uh, only not nearly as complicated because I'm not that technically proficient. But uh, something that sounds less like older classical music or what you might hear in silent comedy, unless you know, somebody knocks something over, uh, which never really happens. But it's, it's more expressionistic. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's fun for me because it's, it's a kind of music I can't use in regular silent film, unless it's an expressionistic film like Joris uh, uh, Ivan's The Bridge or uh, The Life and Death of a Hollywood Extra, where the films themselves are expressionistic, and it, it almost you almost expect to hear that kind of uh, 1920s composed uh, piano music. So, but it's interesting because for the yeah. narrative tradition, the standard, say, Hollywood studio film or any other country's narrative tradition so much uh there was still so much victorian hangover that lasted right into the 1930s if you look at the oh, choice sure. of literature and that's where the music was coming from and what does max steiner bring into uh the repertory but uh wagner and tchaikovsky and sure. that's sort of where that was the that was the the end that was the end of modernity <laughs> was a high yeah. romantic um and yeah, they just yeah. stop there. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting insight because oh, right now we're dealing with real events taking place in our time. So it's logical to have the music that's being written now. Right. And, and so for these for these films, um, I like I said, I, even even the one I just recorded and which will be available on the Metropolitan Museums uh, from the vaults page uh, as of January 20th. I was even thinking, is this really the right kind of music to to, to be doing for this? And we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I I watched. I mean, it seemed it seemed to work. You know, I sat I, once I had finished recording it. Uh, the film was called "The Making of a Bronze Statue," and all the footage was taken during 1922. Uh, it's a bronze statue of Teddy Roosevelt on a horse that was being had been commissioned and was shipped off to uh, Portland, Oregon, and was uh, unveiled and dedicated on Armistice Day, uh, 1922. But you basically see start to finish the making of the bronze statue from the guy designing the small model through uh, seeing the person who makes another model that's more life-size than the people who take that plaster model and make a cast of it, then a cast of that, then the pouring of the bronze, etc., and on and on and on. It's like if you've ever seen the Elgin Watch Company film that's on my YouTube channel... (laughs) It's the same thing, and that. They, by the way, that is the most viewed thing on my channel because Pocket Watch people love it. Well, that's fascinating. But it's basically a twenty-something minute film made in 1930 by the Elgin Watch Company, where just absolutely step by step you watch a pocket watch being made. Well, I guess I was prejudiced because I did listen to the music, knowing the title. Uh, but okay. I'd like to think that if I didn't. Um, when I heard the music, uh, I would have said, well, that sounds like a bronze statue because it, it oh, sure okay. sounds like a bronze <laughs> statue to me. Well, I guess I've done my job. I mean, you know, once I finished the score, I sat down with Mana and I played the film back with the track running and she really, you know, uh, we got into the film and, and the steps of, of the process. So clearly the music wasn't getting in the way. And she also felt that some of the Emotional stuff at different places worked as well. You'll hear in the the sample we'll, we'll we'll play now. This kind of a film gives me the the room to go in and out of time and shift time signatures and play things in five and seven and stuff like that. Uh, not to be gimmicky, uh, but uh, something that Lee Irwin always encouraged me to do is that sometimes. Something in seven, if it can be made to work organically and melodically, is fine to throw in uh, here, here and there, you know, to 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 try and play with that. And so, uh, the three minutes you'll hear now is about halfway into the film, about ten minutes in, and the tail end of it is the last shot of the sequence where the the filmmakers cut to a a big wide shot of the statue itself or whatever stage it's in it's on some sort of turntable and it's slowly rotating uh so you'll hear a sort of processional kind of music and that's what's happening uh when when you see that but you you'll also get to hear stuff you've never heard on this podcast uh, time signatures you've never heard <laughs> on this podcast and i i like to think that if you're really you're watching the film and uh, wrapped up and in it, you won't uh, notice uh, what I'm doing playing with key signatures or time signatures. So this is about 10 minutes into this 28-minute film called The Making of a Bronze Statue, produced by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in 1922.
minutes of my recorded score for The Making of a Bronze Statue, a film made by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in 1922, currently available online on the Met Museum's From the Vaults site and on their YouTube channel. I hope you all finished uh, working on your statue while you were listening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. 28 and, minutes. And that it, must have been exhausting. I mean, it really, that sounds like quite well, an the, effort. You know, part <clears> of the... <throat> Yeah, it, it is, and, and just so you know, it's it's uh, it's twenty eight minutes, but it's two reels of film run at I think sixteen or eighteen frames per second. Uh, a lot of these films made in the in the twenties were either made on or were issued in and circulated in sixteen millimeter. I don't know a lot of the history if they were shown inside the museum or they were made available. But what's what's remarkable, remember, is that sixteen millimeter hit the market in nineteen twenty three. And the Codescope Library and Universal Show at Home Library started in 1925 and 26, I think. And so for any museum to think, oh, let's just jump right in and make films that can be circulated in 16 mil is, is really remarkable. And there's, 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 like I said, I've scored at least maybe five or six of those films as well as a film made in the 1940s by a street photographer named Helen Levitt, a film called In the Street which is a wonderful, really well-made film, and uh, I encourage people to, to look for that. Uh, then, then you have this other film uh, from 1970, which we'll talk about next, a film called Spirals. What strikes me about these two films, Bronze Statue and Spirals, and other of the reality films, is that compared to a film for a narrative, a storytelling film, there the music needs to work... Dramatically, it needs to be telling stories and it needs to be depicting people. And this music for these scores that we're hearing today are far more visual. They're really suggesting images which we, we don't need when we're telling a story because we want to be engaged in emotions. But we don't have emotions to tap. Not much, maybe. No, no yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, the thing is that you know, one of the rules of silent film and the silent film universe, as I call it, is that there's no wasted screen time in a silent movie. You're always being shown something for a reason. You're never waiting for something to happen. And these kinds of films, you are. Mm -hmm. uh, a title card introduces us to uh, the explorers who are heading out on the ice. Uh, and then we have several shots of the boat pulling away from the shore. Uh, going along, people pacing up and down on the deck, uh, looking at their notes. So you have to add either drama or some kind of movement or melody to help hold the audience's attention. And it's a different balance. It's the same kind of balancing act, but it's a different kind of balance, I think. So now we're talking about a film um, made yeah. after the end of the silent era. Do we have any yeah. idea why Sp Spirals does not have... Synchronized sound? The movie Spirals was made in 1970 by Joyce Chopra, who's, if you know her, she's better known or best known for her documentaries. Uh, but this was, I think, earlier on in her career, and she was probably happy to have, have the work and to be working on something for the museum. And uh, this was a, a, a actually meant for a 1971 exhibit called Eye Opener, which was a year-round mobile art show that traveled by trailer and visited New York City hospitals. And it was sponsored by the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the city's Department of Cultural Affairs. It was a way to help people uh, in, who were in hospitals interact with art. And so this film, which is about two and a half minutes, it's called Spirals. It's just shots of spirals. So you were, you were, you, the idea was to look at objects in everyday life. The snail shells and staircases and phone cords that all, you know, where, where you would see spirals so that there's uh, the spiral shapes that you might f find in uh, modern art or contemporary or, or traditional art, but it's also in real life. I thought this would be a fun challenge. The, the, the score that originally was used with the film wasn't really a score. It was a piece of music from Switched on Bach by Wendy Carlos. And they couldn't get the rights uh, to that. No. What was interesting about the way the score got created, the, the one that I made, was that I thought, oh, I'll just get some 
synth samples. And because when I watched it without even knowing about the Wendy Carlos score, I thought this it looks like something that would have had a you know Moog synth. <laughs> and that was you know, the era on, sure. on it. That was the era, and these little short films you might even see at the time Sesame. on Sesame Street at, at in a park <laughs> uh, with 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 uh, you know synthesizers at the time. And something happened in the process of creating the score that I wound up instead using piano samples uh, that I usually work with uh, and sequencing uh, sequencing the music. It was a mix of recording uh, a one or two bar phrase and then copying and pasting it. I still consider this composing just because I wasn't sitting with pen and ink and writing out eighth notes and sixteenth notes, uh, but it was the way it was created. Watching the film, my internal metronome gave me uh, a meter and a tempo, which is something in three four, or six or twelve eight, but a yump up a yump bump 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 bump. And I set uh, the tempo in my sequencing program. I use a program called Reaper uh, with a click track that I I would hear. And as I created different motifs for each section of the film, the tempo and meter I came up with exactly fit the sequencing. So there would be a four-bar phrase or an eight-bar phrase. I wasn't overlapping by a couple of beats or cutting a bar out of, the, out of a phrase. It exactly fit. And I always think uh, when I look at something where there's no linear narrative, whether it's this film spirals or the Charleston sequence in So This Is Paris, which goes on for almost four minutes and nothing happens. It's just people dancing. I think, okay, the people, the person who edited this had an internal logic to it. They didn't just grab a bunch of shots and throw them together. And I'm quite sure that Joyce Chopra didn't take these shots that she had taken in different places around New York City and just threw them up in the air, and then you pick them up off the floor and splice them together. I'm quite sure that a lot of time was spent figuring out what should go where, how long should this sequence be, when do we move on. And as I created the, the piano track, the phrases that I would create that would be an 8-bar phrase or a 16-bar phrase would almost exactly begin and end where uh, what seemed to be a new movement in the film would, would happen. It's one of these films where I'm extremely satisfied with the score. Uh, I, I hear almost nothing from people about it. Uh, and then there are, there are many films where the reverse is true. <laughs> uh, Eric Grayson, uh, for whom I scored Little Orphant Annie, he says my, that my score for that film, which he restored and released on DVD and Blu-ray, is one of the best things I've ever done. I have no idea what I did for that <laughs> film, but I'm glad Eric and people who bought that, that excellent DVD like it. But just the process for me was very different because I would start, you know, for spirals, I was starting and stopping, working with a, a set meter. Well, and you'll hear the music, and the music itself almost stands on its own and uh, could work as a, as a piece for modern dance. I really think it does. Uh, That's reminiscent of uh, your process, is reminiscent of uh, Bill Perry's story that King Vidor told him, that his film The Crowd had been edited to Tchaikovsky's Patatique. Yes, exactly. And and uh, in the same way that Bill realized that the film's uh, phrasing, uh, so to speak, dramatic phrasing, fit uh, sequences of music. And and in, in, as it turns out, with you know, with a film like Spirals, they're they're that's how it played out for me. And and I was just really I was just it, because it was a genre of music and a and a process that I don't hardly ever work with where I had taken uh, the the video that I filed that I had been sent and dropped it into Reaper so I'm watching it as I'm uh, creating the music and li- deliberately creating something as I'm watching it on my laptop screen and so people know it, it came out really Reaper well I is think. not just a mixing but it also an editing uh, application the multimedia editing so so you're yeah. looking at uh, yeah. timelines yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think um, you can do video editing in it. It's it's really meant as a as an audio digital uh, audio workstation, but you can drop in an MPEG four or QuickTime file and and watch your whatever you're scoring in perfect watch it sync. Against the film, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so, but uh, that but that's the way Spirals came about, and I think uh, we should just listen to to the track and and you'll hear this, and then we'll put a note. 
Curry will put a link in the show notes so you can go and watch the film and see how the music lines up with this. So here, from November of 2021, is a recorded score that I composed and performed uh, to accompany a film made in 1970 called Spirals. My musical score for Spirals, a film made in 1970 by Joyce Chopra for the eye-opener traveling exhibit that happened in 1971. little side note about Joyce Chopra. Um, she did go into a narrative film. Her best-known movie is Smooth Talk, which is a festival favorite, and then um, moved sideways into television, did a lot of TV movies, and finally, towards the end of her career, a lot of episodic television, including... The obligatory law and order. Everybody ah. living east of the oh, Mississippi is required to work on law and order at some point. And it's still it's still running. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I guess I'm remembering that that maybe might have been part of the beginning of her her career. The, the yeah, no, she definitely work. had a long. But uh, you know, first part of her career was in documentary, but uh, as smooth talk really changed her life, and I recommend yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting. There, there are certain people who you come across like her, whose name may not be familiar at first, and then you realize they've, they've done other wonderful work. Like uh, Barbara Loden, who's a, who became a filmmaker. Um, she she was on the ensemble per, of performers on the Ernie Kovacs show, uh, often listed just as Barbara. Um, but, oh, I had uh, no idea uh, because you, you know now oh. her film Wanda is uh, somewhere near the top of the sight and sound list of best films right. of all time right if you go on youtube or pull out your ernie kovacs set uh and i think she's the magician's assistant in the matzah heppelwhite uh <laughs> sketch uh thank you old great Massa. that's barbara loden and she you know uh so any 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 blonde who isn't edie adams in those sketches it's barbara loden so uh you know i, I had first just seen her in these sketches and i in doing research for kovacs I realized, oh my goodness, this is an important filmmaker. <laughs> That's a little bit like you know, seeing John Cassavetes tap dancing in the second row. 
<laughs> yes, right, exactly. But you know, every, everybody starts yeah. somewhere, and you know, good, good, good for her. So it was really fun, at least for me. It was fun to to do the score for Spirals, and you know, this has been a fun opportunity that just sort of, like I said, the the way it came about was something you couldn't plan on purpose. But it's it's been fun, and and it's they've continued posting things, like I mentioned. So uh, this. Uh, Making of a bronze statue film was something that I was contacted about in December uh, for for them to post uh, this month. And there, there's just they, there is apparently there's quite a lot of films that were made by the Metropolitan Museum of Art from the 20s all all the way you know into the 20, 20th century. Yeah, Spirals is really I think one of the most um, organic pieces of yours that we played on this podcast, and it's. One of well, it has a beginning, yeah, middle, and an end. Yeah, one of the very end. few that we've actually <laughs> let run from the beginning to the end. There's an entire piece. Yeah, and it's only two and a half minutes. I mean, this is the thing about film, uh, silent film music, is that you know, I often talk to people that uh, my improvisatory process. You know, I'm not making, I'm not winging it, which is people oh will say, oh, are you just making it up as you go along? But my analogy is is often that it's sort of the way jazz works. You know, nobody gets up takes a solo and is just really winging it. They've developed a vocabulary. But as a jazz musician, um, there's a progression of the chords that's either 12 or 16 or 32 bars, and it comes around and repeats over and over. Whereas with silent film, you don't have that luxury. Uh, The chord progression is uh, tied to the dramatic action. And so you don't often have the opportunity to finish a melody or a phrase. I mean, if the thing, the scene's fading out, do you have to do the same so, <laughs> musically so and move on? So you're equivalent of a chorus in jazz. Your unit is a scene, but we can't predict the length of the scene but, and the shape of the scene. And even within the scene, I may ha- may change uh, tempos mm-hmm. and meters. Uh, Three or four times. It's it's kind of like if you ever get a chance to listen to those CDs. I'm sure they're available digitally now of of the Carl Stalling Warner Brothers cartoon scores, where he would start a melody and then halfway through it would jump onto something else, you know, because somebody got hit on the head, and then uh, have a two bar phrase of something else, and and being constantly pulled from one direction or another. But uh, as a composer, you still need to make that yeah, work. It's not I, about, I, I'm gonna. I have this phrase going. I'm gonna finish it. No, sorry, you can't. <laughs> I, you know? I have those uh, CDs. Yeah, I find them actually unlistenable. As much as I love, they're Carl difficult Stalling, because you, they're mad because you don't have the picture to go with it. They're, they're exactly. It's it's it, it's what having a hard time focusing sounds like musically. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the style that worked for those cartoons, and it's one of the reasons his scores work so well and the, and the films work so so well. So Spirals, yeah, it Spirals was something where I got to have a beginning, middle, and an end, and a development, and a theme that I'd go, come back to back and forth like a real piece of and music. And it's now it's in dialogue with the visuals. Now, this next type of music we're going to talk about really isn't as visual, um, and th- maybe you can tell us about Danny Joe's Treehouse, what it is, and how your music functions for it. Well, Danny Lebrecht is a childhood educator and had created a, a show that he was making and putting on YouTube called Danny Joe's Treehouse. And it's very much in the tradition of Mr. Rogers and other children's shows, let's say from the 1950s and the 1960s in the sense that before television producers or networks realized we can get away with showing cartoons and not have a a human host and save some money, ask anybody who grew up in the 50s or 60s anywhere in the country, and there was always two or three people in their local television who were often a firefighter or police captain or something like that who hosted a show of cartoons, and uh, Three Stooges and that sort of thing. But there were also children's programs like The Friendly Giant and uh, Romper Room and, and things like that. And even 
uh, Howdy Doody, where you would have a human host teaching uh, the kids things about how to get along, and, and you would have a puppet. So Danny Lebrecht contacted me. He was he was looking to be able to create uh, episodes for a full season of these shows and have music for them, and liked what he heard me do on on some of the things on my YouTube channel and contacted me. And we hit it off really well, and I, I totally get what he's doing, and I really like it and, and, and the sensibilities about it, talking into the camera as if the child, the three- or four-year-old, is just a few feet away. Uh, and and uh, not in a condescending way, but just talking directly to them and honoring them and respecting them. And I was a fan of the Mr. Rogers shows growing up, and that w- amazing jazz underscore. That was the great Johnny uh, Costa who was uh, referred to by some as the White Art Tatum. Yeah, it's amazing technique. to hear the yeah. music. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he and 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 he was on set, so that wasn't music that was uh, recorded ahead of time and, and then dropped in, uh, but uh, you know, almost like film accompaniment. He was on set doing a lot of that underscore and accompaniment. did for the first two seasons is that Danny would would record an episode and send me uh, a link and then I would uh, I would create underscore for different segments uh, the the songs that Danny sings at the top and end of the show as well as during the show are songs that he wrote uh, the opening and closing theme I then recorded on theater organ which is what he wanted but then but we wanted underscore and what I created is a form of uh, musical transitions where, where where what I'm underscoring is a young viewer's need to have a careful transition from one thing to the next. Anybody who has kids or has had kids, I'm sure you had this uh, occur, is that uh, when kids are really little, you can't just walk into something with them uh, all the time. You have to take it gently and now we're going to see this and who's going to be there and do you remember so and so from last time and and uh and carefully guide them and lead them into the Listen, next it's thing the only bad grade my daughter ever got in all her years of education was <laughs> her difficulty in preschool of making transitions <laughs> yeah yeah and, and but it, it is a thing that you have to gently bring people from one place because if you're taking them somewhere they haven't been before it, it, there, there may be some nervousness about it. Or what's it going to be, or or whatever. And so, uh, in Danny Joe's treehouse, there's a, there's a there's always a moment where we go from the treehouse into an adventure uh, down outside of the treehouse with the different puppets and one of his uh, his guests. And he has a lot of great people. Uh, Danny's in Baltimore. People from the Baltimore area who are experts in uh, conflict resolution and working with kids, things like that, and and mindfulness. And so the characters have their, their adventure, but one of the humans will come in and talk with them about, you know, let's take a deep breath before, so we don't get so angry and stuff like that. So I create, so what you'll hear uh, is, is a transition going from the treehouse down into the world uh, of the puppets, and then some gentle... Uh, underscore for the scenes that happen in it. Thank you. 
some transitional and underscore music for, I think it's episode 25 from season two of Danny Joe's Treehouse, which is now uh, streaming on Sensical TV online. And also, if you go to YouTube and look for Danny Joe's Treehouse, uh, Danny is posting uh, episodes from seasons one and two uh, every day or so on YouTube. Uh, but the, everything is on Sensical TV, and season three has already begun. And and what was interesting is that um, the process, you know, for seasons one and two is I would get a full episode, and I would look at it and see places where there would be transitions. But this got to be a little involved, shall we say. And, and so for season three as a way of streamlining the process, what we wound up doing is uh, he and his, his wife, Steph, uh, who uh, is a filmmaker and worked with him making these things, they came up with a list of what is sort of like library music for the show. Uh, transition for this or, or uh, anticipation for that or, you know, uh, that I, I recorded a whole bunch of cues that they are now using as production music for season three. Uh, so... Uh, It was a more efficient way of doing it. But what was fun is that, and then, again, this is before the pandemic, uh, which is when seasons one and two were done. I actually did a couple of live shows with Danny in Baltimore. And so we got to have that Johnny Costa, Mm -hmm. Fred Rogers uh, experience. And and, uh, in a perfect world where schedules and budgets align, it would be great uh, to do... (laughs) Do some of the shows like that in an actual studio with a piano on set. And maybe that'll happen. But uh, this was another opportunity. People every once in a while will ask me, do you ever uh, do scoring for films that aren't silent movies? And just in terms of contemporary film, that has yet to happen. I haven't had that opportunity. Uh, But little things like this will come along. And and what I really like about Danny Joe's Treehouse is what Danny's doing. He's, you know, he's spent time at the Fred Rogers Institute and is really, you have to just watch them to see, but he's really got it. And I think these are a great future for what, what can be done uh, as programming for, for young audiences. You know, there's nothing uh, untoward about library music. Uh, it's interesting, not only children, but uh, everyone finds it comforting to have certain set repeated cues. I listened to a podcast from the Canadian Broadcasting Company about advertising and marketing called Under the Influence. Oh, I yeah, think I've listened to that a couple previously times. Age yeah. of Persuasion. And he has four or five transitions and stings uh, that he uses over and over. And I like them because I know where I am in the show. I know when he plays this, he has now introduced the major idea that the show is going to be about, and now we're going to hear the first story. So they're nice guideposts, actually, to have Uh, set uh, repeated cues in television that uh, are guideposts yeah and and we we have our we have a a handful of these little transitional things you'll you'll drop in to break it break up one sequence going in into another and i yeah, there's other podcasts i've listened to like seth godin's akimbo podcast that has these little one or two bar upright bass Mm -hmm. runs uh just to break to break things up the Uh, death of seinfeld Uh, baseline. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh gosh. Right. Exactly. Uh, and some of them just become so iconic that you can like it's like the chunk chunk from, from, from Law and Order that you kind of you almost expect these things to come around. What's been fun about work with Danny Lebrecht on this is that it's something that isn't silent movies. It's a, a chance for me to to do whatever it is I do. Uh, where it kind of fits with the project. It's a project I really like and really believe in, uh, really hope a lot of people with young kids uh, or grandkids uh, discover it and watch it uh, with, with them. And, and, and uh, the, these are, these are uh, fun opportunities, as is the case with the work I've done with the physical comedy group, uh, the physical comedy theater company, Parallel mm-hmm. Exit. You know, I've done two or three shows with them, and just getting to work with live human beings in the room is is different. But it lets me know, oh, you can actually do something besides Greta Garbo, Doug Fairbanks, and but Buster also Keaton. like your uh, experiments in underscoring the early horror films that have synchronized sound but no score. No you music, get to yeah. underscore the human voice, which is its own art. 
Right, right. And I've done, there's some spoken word thing that I did, I don't know, 15 years ago, where, yeah, somebody read, a few people had won a contest and they, they read their short story and they had, somebody had me come and play underscore to it. And it's it's kind of like when I was hired by the School of Visual Arts to improvise piano music as people were coming up to get their diplomas at graduation at Radio City Music ah! Hall. And it's 17 groups of people, of, of graduates, you know, would get up and I would just, at this big Steinway grand piano, improvise music that, that would just go under There's an episode, craziest jobs I've had. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, you know, that my, I, I, I can say I've played Radio <laughs> City and, 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 and I also had a chance to play the, the world, sir, uh, there, uh, because we had this idea that maybe we could use the theater organ for underscoring, uh, but it wound up being a little bit too. Um, just the volume was was too. There was just too mm-hmm. much, and that's an instrument that that's all about how much sound you can get out of it. Uh, so you know, we had a. I had some time on the console on the on the organ, and, and just getting acclimated to it, and then they um, they then the. The people from SVA and their sound people came. We had a walkthrough and we tried some things and it just didn't fit and wound up being uh, done on piano. But it was fun, it, you know. It, it was fun getting, getting you know, going through the back entrance and walking past where the camels are, are held for the, you know, for their for, for the Christmas show. If Back when they were using, you know, livestock uh, and then standing in the wings and, and all that kind of stuff. It was, it, it was still, it was still interesting. Yeah. So surprisingly, we've had a lot to say for those of you who thought Ben Modell was a one-trick pony um, and just yeah. uh, could accompany uh, automobiles going very fast and driving over cliffs. <laughs> um, there's a we found a lot to say about not silent film accompanying or silent yeah. film from uh, era other than the classic silent film era. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to check out a piece of chamber music I, I wrote, it's on YouTube, a piece called The Spice of the Program, uh, a group called the Palisades Virtuosi, which is a trio consisting of piano, flute, and clarinet, commissioned this about, again, 15 years ago, I think, uh, and it was recorded. Uh, they're an unusual grouping of instruments, and so what they do, they formed a not-for-profit and raise money and commission composers to create works for that uh, that ensemble. So there's a piece I did called The Spice of the Program. So it's like listening to a one-reel comedy. So be sure to have subscribed to the newsletter, uh, rate and review the podcast on wherever you obtain the podcast from so other people can find it. Do all those good things to help spread the word. There will be more screenings coming as uh, as we emerge from winter and we go into spring. So we'll be out there uh, seeing each other and let people know about this show. If you enjoy it, the chances are that your friends who like the same kind of things will like it too. Yeah, and that's, that's episode 55. Thanks for listening. This has been the Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell. It's the podcast that takes you inside the mind of someone as they prepare for, perform, and reflect upon performances of live musical accompaniments to silent film and also recorded scores for other things, <laughs> as it turns out. I'm, I'm your host, Ben Modell. I'm a silent film accompanist and presenter. Thanks for, for listening uh, to the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm out and about uh, in different places, so definitely go to silentfilmmusic.com and get on my email list, and I hope to see you at things like the Kansas Silent Film Festival, the Library of Congress, Museum of Modern Art, and lots and lots of other places. Uh, Well, I'm doing uh, in-person shows as well as the Silent Comedy Watch Party every month. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thank you, Kerr, for all your, your scheduling and production work and keeping me on task and keeping this podcast going every month. Thank you so much. This has been the Silent Film Music Podcast. I'll see you at the silence. Thanks.